why easy does not equal lazy. The danger in chasing unsatisfying success. Why too big of goals can actually be hurtful. How to have discernment over whose advice to listen to and who's not to. The most important question an essentialist can ask themselves and so much more coming right up. This is episode number three, five, three with two-time New York Times bestselling author, Greg McEwen. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Are you struggling with motivation or structure or accountability with achieving your fitness goals? If so, then go to nickcarrier.com so you can download my new free ebook called Your Best Week. You'll get access to three workouts, my personal grocery list, and three things to avoid at the grocery store so that you can have your best week possible. Just go to nickcarrier.com to get access for free today. Today, I'm bringing on for the second time the best-selling author of Essentialism and now Effortless, the one and only Greg McEwen. Greg is one of the top thought leaders in the world when it comes to productivity and work-life balance. His book, Essentialism, took the world by storm with showing people how to be essentialists and get done the most important things. And now Effortless is having a similar effect by showing people how to make it easier to do what matters most. Before diving in, be sure you're subscribing to Nick Carrier's Best Shoe Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and be sure you share this episode with a friend while you're listening. All you got to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast, or you can click the triple dots and just send them right to via text. And if you enjoy the show, I'd love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. All right, y'all, it's time. Without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you, the one and only Greg McEwen. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super fired up today to bring back for the second time the one and only Greg McEwen. And I'm so fired up because the first time we talked about his first New York Times bestseller, Essentialism, and now we're going to talk about his second New York Times bestseller, Effortless. So first off, congratulations on getting the New York Times bestseller list. I saw uh, your video of you and I think your family jumping up and down when you when you found that out uh, probably a couple months ago now, but I thought that was really cool. And the way I want to start today, Greg, is just by asking, what have you personally changed? You know, Effortless has been out for a little bit now at the time of this recording. What have you personally changed in your life kind of based off of your work after writing Effortless? Mm. Well, it may be an unusual way of answering your question, but but I have I I have come to the power of a single phrase, uh, which is which is this, which is just easy does not equal lazy. Uh, that alone, in fact, that's language I didn't have at the time I first wrote the book, and it's the best summary yet of it. Like that gets to the heart of it. That that there are many overachievers who want to get to a higher point of contribution, even let's say 10x contribution, but none of them can work 10x harder. Okay, so that's like, that's the first problem. But the second is that despite that reality, they try to get to the 10x because they still want that achievement. They still want to progress, but they do it the only way they know how, which is by working harder, more relentlessly, trying to force the result they want, uh, trying to power through. And so as a result, they, they it's like they've been taught somehow, not only that hard work is a virtue, which I absolutely believe it is, but also that ease is something to, to distrust. 
it's it's equivalent and equal to being lazy. And of course, it's not. I mean, literally in the dictionary, it's not. If you look up the words in the dictionary, lazy is not being willing to put in effort. Easy is that something doesn't require a lot of effort. And man, if you get those two things mixed up, as many people have in a sort of Puritan idea, what happens is that you, you put yourself up, you set yourself up to being on a path to, to absolute exhaustion all the time, and you still don't achieve the results you want. So that simple one phrase, five words, to me captures something uh, profound at a time when I think there's like two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are burned out, and there are people who know they're burned out. And so this presents, I hope, another path, another way to be able to achieve breakthrough results, but without burning out. Yeah. Well, I, that was an awesome way to start. I think you know, we need to have a t-shirt that says easy and then does not equal sign lazy because that's I, what it is. I, I know for sure. I know for sure that I have, you know, thought that in my own head. I've thought that if something has felt too easy, I almost feel guilty about something being too easy. And, and I feel like, oh, this needs to be harder for it to be worthwhile. And I think what you said, ease is not something to distrust. If something is necessarily easy, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to produce great results on the on the other side of that, which I think is a, a big mindset shift. So I guess kind of talk to the person like me and probably a lot of my listeners who are people who are high achievers and looking to perform and get closer to the best version of themselves. And they were taught growing up that you need to work hard, you need to work hard. And people who distrust ease, how can they start to actually, because it's, e it's easy to it's easy to hear it and be like, you know what, that makes sense. But how can I actually start to change my mindset towards that on a regular basis? The, the first thing I would say for people to do is the need to invert, like invert that word, that idea, invert the mindset, invert the question that you're asking. It, it's a bit like... Uh, Remind, remind me of his name in, in Seinfeld, George Costanza. Uh, yeah, George Costanza. Remember that that episode where he just does like do the opposite of everything he's ever done before. His life turns out amazing because he's like the classic underachiever, right? Like nothing works from now, everything does. Well, it's almost like doing that, but in reverse for overachievers. It's like you've got to invert the mindset. It's almost an opposite idea. Instead of saying, how can I work harder to make this thing happen? You say, look, is there an effortless way to achieve the result? Maybe not just once, but many, many times. And, and, and like, I'll give you an example. Someone who I was, I suppose, coaching a little bit, uh, classic overachiever. She's the kind of person who's up till 4 a.m. in the morning photoshopping for a church activity the next day for youth. She's not paid for that. She's not being asked to do that. She's just, you know, oh, I have to. That's the only way to make a higher contribution. The more I care about it, the more time I have to spend doing it, uh, the more self-sacrifice that is required. And that's kind of her mindset. So I said, look, invert teach her how to do that. She gets a call. She works at a university. A professor calls, can you record uh, my class for this semester? Well, she just jumps right in at first. She says, okay, I'm going to have a whole team of videographers there. We'll edit all the different angles from the cameras together, add music and intros and outros and graphics and slides and everything. We're going to wow him, she says. And then she's like, well, hold on you know, invert. That's what I've been coached to do. You know, like maybe ask this question, how am I making this harder than it needs to be? 
And so um, armed with that question, that inverted question, she discovers through a couple of other questions that this is for one student who's going to miss just a few classes. And the solution she comes up with is that another student will just record on his iPhone whenever the student's going to miss and send it to him. That's it. That's the solution. It took 10 minutes to come up with the solution. The professor was wowed <laughs> because it was so much easier than what he'd been thinking about. He hadn't thought like that. He was overcomplicating it too. So everyone's wowed and she hangs up the phone and she's wowed because she's like, I saved four months of work for a whole team of people for the sake of inversion. Now, you may think when you hear it, you think, well, that's okay for her. It's just one person, N equals one. But basically, the whole world is full of strategies, tactics, solutions that are far easier than what we're imagining, what we've been trained to look for. But we just have wiped the whole thing aside because we have to find hard solutions. And the more important they are, the harder they'll need to be. Yeah. You know, I, I love that question with how am I making this harder than it needs to be? And another thing that I've that just thought about is, and I think I've kind of heard before too, is almost like give yourself less time to complete whatever it is that you're looking to complete. And you'll, you'll find kind of like the most simple solution and the easiest solution to get it done. Because, you know, there's that adage of work expands to the time allotted for it. And so if you have a ton of time, then you're going to find all these complex ideas and start doing all these complex things to make it as hard as possible. But it's like, if you have 30 minutes or one hour to complete X, Y, and Z, then you're going to find the easiest solution to be able to get that thing done. And I, and I think that's just another way of asking yourself, how am I making this harder than it needs to be? So kind of back to, again, kind of like practically with you and your schedule, I know you kind of have an assistant that works with your schedule as well. So what is the difference between you and, and maybe how you've coached your assistant to handle your schedule, maybe like three years ago or like two, three years ago, compared to how it is now? Like how, what's what's the mindset towards the schedule in, in regards to how much time to keep me free, how much time to allot to X, Y, and Z? What does that mindset look like differently now compared to what it maybe looked like two, three years ago? Just this week, I had a breakthrough as traveling with my wife. When I travel, I normally bring someone from the family with me. And uh, you know, normally it's one of my children. But my wife, Hannah, came with me and we just had a really terrific two or three days. It wasn't I'm not working. It was a work trip, actually. But there was a lot of space to think. And in that space, one of the eurekas was that I had held on to a kind of often unspoken goal in life that was massive, just huge and grandiose. Uh, and I picked it up while I was listening to a, you know, to, to speak a years ago and they challenged people listening to not just think, but think big. And, and, and I had gone the full range on, on that. And, and what I had created unintentionally in that moment was a sense of being massively behind, you know, so goals have a role for sure. But if you're not careful with the way that you create them and select them, uh, they can they can push you into what Dan Sullivan and uh, others have called being in the in the gap and not the gain. So as you set significant goals, that's fine, but be very careful, judicious in what you do. This goal had had a, a disproportionate effect, and so and so it's it's like. If, if you set the wrong huge goal, then you, well, it's, it's not about even the size exactly. It's just how precise it is. 
is this really the right mission or is this just something grand because why not? Why not do massive if you're going to do massive? And, and, and so the moment that I sort of almost discovered it, the moment I really looked at it and could sense, oh, that, that isn't even the mission. I don't, that isn't my unique and essential mission. It has been really dramatically different, even in just these few days, because you say, well, I don't have to do all that. You know, and, and, and instead I can do the real mission. And it's a, it's a more modest mission, but it's so meaningful. It's more meaningful to me than, than this broad, grand you know, but not actually my mission. And so that feeds its way, of course, immediately into your schedule because um, although this will take a while for the full ramifications to happen, it certainly allows you to be more at peace in that journey, to enjoy the journey. Because it was as if before this, things could be really quite remarkable. I could be having quite an extraordinary day even. But the sensation, or at least a portion of the sensation was, well, yes, I mean, that's fine. But look at what you have to do. There's so much to do that you don't actually receive the goodness of this moment. That's been quite a dramatic change recently. I suppose it doesn't answer exactly the question of schedule and routine, but, but I think in a profound way it does because it will affect so much of what is scheduled and also how you experience what is scheduled going forward. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested. Do you think that, you know, you said that you were holding on to this really big goal because of some talk or thing of dream big, think lofty goals, that sort of thing a, a while back. Right. Do you think that, yeah. Do you, do you think that maybe back then it really was your goal? You weren't just taking it on, but it's just that you've changed and, and developed and your, your values maybe have changed over the years. Is, is that what the change was? Or was it actually that the goal you maybe originally had in mind was just completely not yours? No, I do think it was, it was, I think it was the wrong goal. I, I think it was, and I think that there are lots of lessons to every experience in life, but one of the lessons is to have discernment over who you listen to. And that isn't, I mean, I'm not saying who, who the individual was. I'm not trying to disparage anybody, but to seek, like, to be careful in identifying who is a wisdom source. Is this person a wisdom source? Uh, or especially in an age of influencers, is this person just famous? Or is this person the loudest voice in the room? Or is, you know, like to discern between that and the question of, is, there, is this person a wisdom source? And, and I'll go further, although, again, I'm, the point isn't really about the influencer involved, but I remember attending a live event later and I could sense, this was years and years later, and my almost immediate reaction was, oh, this person isn't a wisdom source. That doesn't make them not good or entertaining or interesting or for other people a wisdom source, but I could sense it wasn't for me. And so that wasn't sufficient, though, to undo this quite small and fairly innocent moment 20 years previously where you pick up this goal and you and this, this vision and then you run with it and you have that running in the background. And so I think that over time, you have to select the right wisdom sources and you also have to get rid of the ideas that aren't wise that you've been holding on to. And that deliberate 
elimination, that allowing those things, that, you know, almost thanking those ideas. Thank, thank you for, for what you've given me and for teaching me now that that isn't the thing anymore. And you can let it go. <laughs> you know, you can pass it on and free yourself up for what actually is your own essential, unique, vibrant, marvelously meaningful mission. You know, I think this is, I think this conversation is so, so key because I do think so many people chase after other people's definition of success, chase after goals that sound good because somebody else said it or because somebody else achieved it. And I think like that's the ultimate failure in life, right? If you are chasing after somebody else's definition of success and, and you're doing that year after year and you're, you know, working hard and then you get there and you realize like, this isn't what I wanted whatsoever. So, and, and I think that a lot of people are going through that, right? And so I think this is, I think it's a, it's a big moment for you to have been able to realize that this goal wasn't actually uniquely yours that you currently value and you currently want to get to. So for other people who might be, you know, where you were before this breakthrough of chasing down this other goal that they set for themselves a while back because it's lofty and they heard a motivational speaker fire them up and they said it, what sort of things might they be able to do? to realize whether or not that is the goal they should be going after. Uh, one of my brothers, Justin, uses the term often of, of success that doesn't satisfy, you know, unsatisfying success. And I think that that's one of the things to pay attention to, you know, to say, okay, you actually start to achieve something and you say, yeah, but that's, there's nothing about that that feels good. Yeah, that, that's one thing. Let me answer that a different way. I was one time staring at myself dressed from head to toe in a stormtrooper costume. Um, I mean, I was in a Halloween store, you know, that pops up once a year. And this was a, this was a, an expensive outfit. Like this is a, this is like movie quality uh, stormtrooper costume. And in the moment of staring myself dressed in this, I I'm like a slightly out of body moment of like, how did I get here? You know, and what I'm, I'm about to buy this. And I notice like there's not a part of me that wants it. I do not want this. I do not want this outfit, this costume. What? And I realize as I reflect on it that it's been perhaps thirty years since I had, you know, Return of the Jedi had come out, and one of my other brothers had said in passing, oh, "Wouldn't it be great to have like a movie level stormtrooper costume?" And that that sort of adulation for that idea, right from an older sibling, right there. It just had some sort of effect. And similarly to what we've been talking about, it just has stayed with me ever since uh, until I'm standing there and I realized this has outlived its usefulness. Uh, in fact, perhaps it was never very useful, but it certainly has just been on autopilot all this time. And that has become a shorthand for, for my wife and I. She will ask from time to time you know, about something I'm thinking about pursuing. Is this a stormtrooper? Is is this really what is the right path, or is this just a thing? You know, is this just something you used to want? Is this something that somebody else wants? And there's a I just had on the What's Essential podcast a um, the author of a book called Wanting, uh, and he he introduced an idea I thought was very interesting. It's about mimetic desire. It basically means that it's like we want what we think other people want. It's not just that we 
want what other people want is what we think they want. We don't even know if they want it. And we haven't taken the time to work out whether they really want it or if we really want it. And so you can get yourself on such a journey. Oh, my heavens, you spend your whole life pursuing a hundred different things that you think other people want. And that doesn't make a good strategy. That, that is a suboptimal strategy. And it's going to just take you on to completely different randomized paths and to, it's to get really quiet and to listen to your own conscience, to, you know, to, to the light within instead of all the noise without. It is, I think, a vital skill in life. Maybe it's, maybe it's the primary skill in life, the most important skill in life. I completely agree. I think it's like yeah. it's, it's really gaining clarity on what you want and why you want it. And I think it's anytime you set a goal, it's making sure that you don't set a goal and then immediately go for it. You, like, you really think about why it is that you're going after in the first place. And I really, I got, I'm going to buy that book. Wanting, we want what we think other people want. I got to tell you real quick before we hop off. Before I ask the last question, I live in Nashville, and so many people go downtown Broadway, right? And it's crazy and it's loud and the bars are packed and, and it looks really fun. And I really have this theory that everybody just thinks they want to go to Broadway. And then they just, and then when they go, it is never as good as what they actually think. Everybody's just crowded. Nobody can carry on a conversation. Like obviously there's times where it's fun, where there's music and, and all that kind of things. But I, but I really believe in a lot of social situations, we've been fed what fun looks like on TV and different movies and things like that. And we think like, oh, that's what we want. That would be a really fun social situation. And then when you go do it and you wake up the next morning, it's like, that really wasn't all that I thought it was going to be. And I think it's because we want what we think other people want. We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020, and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it, and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, here's what they had to say. Hey, I'm Adam. I joined Nick's 10-week program to get in shape for my wedding. In addition to that, to lose a little bit of weight and to bulk up my chest a little bit. I've lost five pounds, and then I've been able to increase my bench max by 20 pounds. I think the consistency, it's helped me develop better habits and helped me get into the gym five or six days a week and really see the results of my efforts and helped keep me accountable throughout the entire journey through the program. You should join Nick's 10-week program. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of research to support that the, the idea that the, the loss of human behavior really is shaped by like wanting to be with the crowd. So if we believe that the crowd believes something, then it's really easy for us to believe it and to, to go along with it. And so we help to create the very phenomenon we think we're being, you know, that like we're a part of that phenomenon. Oh, okay, well, everyone's doing it, I'm doing it. And then we signal to other people, well, this is what to do. And everyone now starts to do it. And, and, these, and these trends happen. And I'm not sure that's always bad. Um, there's, there's lots of reasons that can be helpful. But at the same time, it's a poor substitute for internal clarity, right? That external pressure, external noise, or, or that the crowd is doing it. You know, there's an old song that I actually have never heard, but I was being told about, you know, back, I don't know when it is, 20s, 30s something. And 
Uh, and it says, you know, can, can 50 million people really be wrong? Uh, somehow that's in the lyric. And, and it's like, yes, the answer is yes. That's the thing. Yes, 50 million people can be wrong. Yes, 50 million people can, can be raving about something and it still not be something that's what you should be doing or something that's genuinely valuable. And you can, you can look at that in all sorts of, you know, not, not that yes, there are moments of the wisdom of crowds, but there is also the madness of crowds. And, uh, and, and you can see it in all sorts of trends that are unhelpful and unsatisfying and, and destructive and damaging. And just, just because loads of people do it, it does not make it right. does not make it fulfilling. does not make it essential. And so we can let those things go in order uh, to bring forth more of what we are supposed to do to achieve the potential we have to be the best you almost certainly means being a different to the crowd. No doubt. That was, that was super well said. Well, last question, because I want to get you out of here on time. If there are three things that you could currently do or work on to get closer to the best version of Greg McEwen that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Mm. Um, I'm on a, a bit of a personal renaissance right now uh, of reading. And I don't mean reading. I mean, I have, I have, I have not taken education lightly in, in, you know, in my life. Uh, but I'm still, I'm still sort of appalled at everything I don't know. And I, I've set upon a journey of trying to read the great literature of, of Western civilization. And it's been, you know, it's already been a life-changing experience and I expect that to continue. So I suppose that would be one, like really read uh, the, you know, the, the great literature so that you can even you can even begin to understand the moment we're in, to even understand who we are, understand the other books that have been written. You you have to to see that in context. So that would be number one. Um, I would say number two is simplification, uh, an ongoing simplification in a variety of ways. And I would say number three, I would say, is being really present and thoughtful about where I am now and what opportunities are here now that weren't here even a year ago or, and to, to pay more attention to the people that I am meeting, every person that I'm meeting one-on-one and being present with that person in that moment. And also, I suppose, and it's related, it's almost a fourth item is to look for, for people, not, not just wisdom sources, as we t- talked about towards the beginning, but but they're just themselves are seeking wisdom themselves. So really, for real. Uh, and, and there are a, f- a few people in my life who I think are really doing that. And they're very inspir- inspirational to me. And talking to them is so satisfying. And we're not, we're not just pontificating for the sake of it. We're not just rhyming lyrical. You know, we're trying to understand history and where we are and what we need to do now and how to lead in our way, not, lead the world, but lead in our world in a way that can, uh, that, that we can feel proud of it um, years from now. Those are some answers to that question. Awesome. That was great. Well, really appreciate it today, Greg. It was awesome stuff. I know everybody loved it. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thank you so much. I hope you all enjoyed this awesome interview with Greg. Be sure to go grab a copy of his newest New York Times bestseller, Effortless. Make it easier to do what matters most. Also, be sure you share this episode with a friend or family member because you never know what kind of impact that it might have on their life. 
And also be sure to go grab a copy of my new free ebook, Your Best Week at nickcarrier.com where you can get your weekly workout routine and follow the same grocery list that I personally use. And remember, one of the biggest failures that we can have in life is unsatisfying success. I mean, it would just be such a huge failure if we chased down a goal that just wasn't appropriate enough only to find out later that it was a waste of time. So be sure you actually have discernment over who you listen to when it comes to what you, quote, should do, because you should be the person who defines success for yourself. So look internally when you're setting goals and know why you're looking to achieve the goal that you set before you actually start after it. For now, it's time, y'all. It's time to go out and take action on something that you learned here today with Greg so that you can continue to get closer and closer to your best you.